0: You are listening to the sermon podcast of Nielsville Presbyterian Church, a Christ centered church in Germantown, Maryland. To learn more about Nielsville, visit us online at Nielsville.org. In 1996, I was called to my first full time position in ministry as a high school director in Danville, California. It was a thrilling, thrilling moment for myself and Cheryl as she had stood by my side for a whole year of waiting on the Lord and, and sensing this call to ministry, but not knowing where we would land and being so surprised that God would lead us to a, a, a church that we had never heard of and to a denomination we had never set foot in. This church was called Community Presbyterian Church in Danville, California massive impact for the kingdom all over the west coast in fact training up uh, pastors and missionaries uh, who covered the globe a very very significant youth ministry program for many many years there in in danville and in that san ramon valley and i was privileged to be a part of the team there and i hadn't been serving in youth ministry for very long before a elder of the church invited me to come to his home to visit with, with him and his wife and to learn more about the church. And I thought it was just that, an opportunity to learn more about, about the ministry and the church and what God was doing. It was that, but it was more. This elder took the time to explain to me the history, not only of CPC, but in fact the history of what it means to be Presbyterian. And the recent history of the church going through a very difficult time. And it was really an opportunity after that education for him to then challenge me with a question. He said, Pete, we need more young evangelicals like you to become Presbyterian pastors, teaching elders, to serve the church for the generation to come. Would you be willing to take on that challenge? And in fact, the church not only made that challenge to me through this elder, but uh, invested in my training, both practically in ministry, but even in helping us go to seminary. For that, I am eternally grateful. Now, fast forward to 2017, and I am uh, one of the elders, your teaching elder here at Nielsville, as we prepare to embark in joining ECO, a covenant order of evangelical Presbyterians. So, this whole month, we've been taking time to understand what that means. Really, what does what the name of eco-Presbyterian mean? And as we've walked through, I hope that you've had insight and encouragement of, of the great connectivity we have with this, this new movement and how it's going to enhance what's happening here at Nealsville. And we come down to the last sermon of what it means to be Presbyterian. I'll say this from the outset. The eco-Presbyterians, in my humble opinion will enhance, enrich, and progress Mulesville because we share the same convictions as evangelicals, the same heart for the loss and and urgency to fulfill our mission to make disciples even as their mission is to help churches flourish in making disciples. We have identical Reformed theology, our, our creed as covenant people of God. The same commitment to order, that that is our our ordered way of life, a life commitment together. And we share the same common core values. In fact, what I love about ECO is they spell out what their core values are. Jesus-shaped identity, biblical integrity, thoughtful theology, accountable community. We, We and ECO believe in unleashing the ministry gifts of women and men and every ethnic group. In calling people to be followers of Jesus, we have as a core value that that means taking risks for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of his holy name. With all these enhancements and enrichments, all the progress of a reformed church always in need of more reforming, these aren't topping the list of reasons to join ECO. These aren't at the top of the list of why I would encourage us to to vote to go ECO. Even as they are benefits. No, what it came down to is our elders, myself as one of your teaching elders, the leaders of this church, seeking God's will, and the Holy Spirit leading us together to know God's will. We're sailing all the way along and now we're coming through, we've come through stormy seas of discernment and we're, we're docking into port to continue the analogy for this financial settlement because we humbly believe as your elders and as the vast majority of you as a church have agreed with us through the surveys and the whole discernment process with a clear conscience that this is God's will. That's at the top of the list of why we're doing this. So this morning what i like to do is define what it means to be Presbyterian. Again, a quick history, maybe in form of cliff notes. See how the Bible teaches, what the Bible has to say about uh, elder-led churches and why that matters for our mission and vision going forward. So Presbyterian, maybe you can't even spell it, but do you know where the word comes from? It comes from the Greek, the Greek word presbyteros. Presbyteros means elder. So at the very heart of what it means to be Presbyterian is that it is a church led by the elders of the church. Throughout 2,000 years of church history, when clear biblical understanding and function of the office of elder as as an under-shepherd, in charge of and cared for the, the spiritual care of the flock, When it has been absent or impaired, God's flock has suffered. But when servant leaders have sought to care for the flock and to fulfill the right role of elder as under-shepherd, the flock has prospered. Now the roots go all the way back to John Calvin's Geneva. And his biblical uh, reform thinking uh, informed not only the theology of getting back to the Bible, getting back to uh, what Scripture had to say about what it means to be a Christian, but also how that played out in the public life of the church and the community. And so John Calvin trained up uh, churchmen uh, all across Europe, and one of his uh, great and very colorful students was a Scotsman named John Knox. And John Knox brought back his Bible training and an uncompromising viewpoint that elders are to lead the church, not priests, not bishops, not cardinals, not a pope, not a king, but elders that come up from within the church that are identified and trained up. He brought this viewpoint back to Scotland. Now we'll fast forward, and I'll skip trying to have a Scottish accent, but this fiery Scotsman brought Scottish Presbyterian understanding of how the world uh, operates and how the church operates uh, to that northern end of the great island. And Scotch Presbyterians brought their theology and their elected democratic polity, that's the way the church functions, they brought it with them to these shores, to the colonies. And in fact, they formed the first Presbyterian church in 1706 in the city of... Of Philadelphia. That's how far back we trace American Presbyterian roots. Now, next month will mark the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, 1517, Martin Luther. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Luther next month, but, but there is a, over 300 years of Presbyterian history right in our region, And so Presbyterian in the name speaks to that heritage and how the church operates and how the church is to be led by by elders. We are led as a church by elders, not just one elder, but a plurality of elders. Ruling elders are elected by the congregation to serve a a three-year term. Uh, Does that ring a bell that we serve a term? You think about term limits? They were there at the Constitutional Convention in 1787. That's where they got the idea of having elected leaders. That was the idea where they got, you know, some people said, let's make George Washington president for life. He could be like a king. And they said, no way. No, no, no. Let's elect our leaders and train them up and be democratic. That is very much a Presbyterian influence. By the way, where did that convention happen? In Philadelphia. There's at least 12 Presbyterians that sign the Declaration of Independence. So elders are identified, nominated, trained, elected, and ordained to serve the church as servant leaders. The analogy of being under-shepherds. So we have the, the great shepherd of Jesus who is the head of the church, and he appoints those that will lead like under, underlings, under-shepherds, servant leaders. They're to hold that responsibility. So at Nielsville, we have trustees who manage the finances and the facilities and all the things that are happening right now, all these incredible updates. We have deacons. The office of deacon is in Scripture, the office of ministry and care, ministries of mercy and caring not only for members of our congregation that are hurting and in need, but in fact, people from outside all over Germantown and beyond that are Uh, dealing with real practical issues of making ends meet, of paying the bills, of putting food on the table. But as Presbyterians, we have elders who serve as the spiritual leaders of our church. What else can we say about Presbyterians? Presbyterians are confessional. Uh, We don't recreate the wheel, come up with a new set of beliefs every couple of years. Instead, we stick with the historic confessions and creeds articulating doctrine so there's a commitment to history and a conviction about truth. It doesn't change. Presbyterians have a great uh, value of, in education, in majority rule, in right worship. And so we have, uh, as a church, two sacraments. We have... Uh, the Lord's table, and this is not a, an altar, it is a table. The altar is now in heaven where Jesus reigns. This is his table and where his children are invited to gather to celebrate Holy Communion. And we have at the far end there the baptismal font where we celebrate the other great uh, sacrament that the Lord gave us of baptism. Of course, at Nielsville, we have celebrated baptism off campus at the, the Blunts most recently. And you can go into a, a lake or, or running water, but we have... The baptismal font. So there's right worship. We also major in the majors as Presbyterians. What are the majors? The sovereignty of God, the depravity of man, the authority of Scripture as God's inspired, infallible word the person and work of Christ, justification by grace through faith alone, the priesthood of all believers. These are some of the majors that we major in and come back next week and throughout October, our new series of five solas, the the great rally cries of the Protestant Reformation, sola meaning only in Latin, that we only believe in scripture and follow scripture. We only believe in Christ and follow Christ and so forth. Now, Do you have to be a Presbyterian to join Nielsville? No. Okay, good, yes. No, you do not. Will we remain Presbyterian as a church uh, when we elect to go to this new denomination? Yes, yes we will. In fact, we are joining the fastest growing Presbyterian denomination in the country. Now, I could take us to various passages of Scripture that speak to what it means to be a presbyter, an elder. We could go to 1 Timothy or Titus or 1 Peter on the role and qualifications of an elder. Or we could turn to passages that speak to the role of the church in relationship to elders and how it's important to follow uh, your elders and trust them and, and honor them and so forth. But instead, the Lord has led me this week to the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 17 and following. And I invite you to open your Bible to Acts, chapter 20, page 929 in your pew Bible, and it will be on the screen. To the Apostle Paul's farewell address to the Ephesian elders. This passage is instructional in that it, it reads like one of Paul's other letters to the church, the, the epistles, but, but those letters were for the whole church. This is a speech For the elders in particular. And so we'll see how how important it is to Paul that, that these elders take their role seriously. You see, as the apostles were finishing their mission, and all of them martyred for the faith, they were installing presbyters to lead the local congregations. And so we have, for instance, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, in which Paul says to Timothy, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. And so we think of the succession of leadership. It was not uh, from Peter to, to popes. It was from the apostles to the elders. These men being trained up to go and, and lead churches and plant new churches. Now Paul's on a cargo ship at this late chapter in the book of Acts, and he stops in Miletus, Turkey, close to Ephesus for a layover, and so he calls the leaders of, of a church that he planted several years before. Now, if you're taking notes, this would be a good outline for this morning's passage. In verses 18 to 27, Paul reminds them of the nature of his ministry. He reminds them of the nature of his history in verses 18 to 27. Then in verses 28 to 31, he warns them of the dangers they will face. He's going to warn them. He reminds them, he warns them, and then finally in verses 32 to the end, he commends to them the grace of God and the word of God. Paul knew when he spoke to these elders, he would never see them again. So here we have a leader inspiring other leaders with deep humility and courage. So let's first read, uh, we'll pick up at verse 18 to 21 to see how Paul presents his life and ministry as an example for them to follow. Quote, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's not tooting his horn, is he? He wants to inspire their commitment to serve the Lord with 100% of their energy. Look, look at the words that he uses. Paul des- describes his leadership words like humility, tears, trials. He, but he didn't shrink from declaring the gospel. What, what word did he have? Did we have the New Testament at this point? Did we have any of the of the gospels written, let alone his letters? No, what did he have? He had the Hebrew scriptures, and out of God's word, out of Torah, he showed to them and revealed to them the gospel. Did he major in the minors? Did Paul get tied up in little politics and little divisions? No, what did he do? He majored in the majors, repentance toward God, faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he was bold, despite the fact that he was under attack, to be fully committed to this gospel mission. Verse 22, And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, Constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Wow, why is he going? Does he have a game plan here? Is it going to go well for Paul? Has he thought it through? He's going because he knows it is God's will. And he knows he's going to suffer. As he has been. Imprisonment, afflictions await me, yet I know the Spirit of God constrains me to go on this path. Paul, you're crazy. Why would you do that? It's going to cost you too much. I know this is God's will for me. That's the message that he's giving to these elders. You know God's will together. Stand shoulder to shoulder to go the way that God has directed you. Let's keep going. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of, none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I, test to you, I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. He's saying he has a clear conscience. He knows he's done the right thing. Despite the naysayers, despite the plots against him, all the beatdowns he took, he knows he has done the right thing, and he's done the right thing also by trusting these elders who are ready to lead, no matter the cost, that their lives are in God's hands. That's his last message to these elders. Can we say the same? We're willing to count that cost for the sake of the gospel. Then Paul goes on to give a sober warning. It's not all just encouragement. Go, team, get out there, set sail. He gives him a warning. He says there are dangers out in those waters, at least three that we can see. Listen carefully and look at this passage. See if you can pick out the three warnings to the church that Paul leaves with them. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. the elders, against spiritual attack. He says for three years, he didn't just stand up and give a lecture or have a little study. It was so emotional and important that he brought them to tears to prepare them. And here he has at least three warnings, a three-pronged attack. Did you notice what those were? Look at verse 29. It says, I know that after I leave, What? Fierce wolves will come. So one form of attack is from the outside in. Just a, a direct assault. He calls them wolves coming at the church. Dead ahead. Cults. Heretics. Seeking to get inside the church. That's one attack. What else? Look at verse 30. It says, quote, From among your own selves. Some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Why would people do that? Why would you be inside the church in order to stir things up and twist the truth? Well, Paul's saying, get ready for it because it is coming. There's an attack from the outside and even from amongst your very own. There'll be those that want to twist the truth. And so we see these great concerns to be on guard. Now I mentioned two out of the three prongs of attack that will scatter the sheep. What's the third one? Look closely at verse 28. It's the first in his list, but I saved it for last because it is the most dangerous. Listen, Yielsville, the most dangerous even for the church today. What's it say? Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock The greatest peril that they will face as leaders will be the condition of their own hearts, their own commitment, their own desire to follow the Lord Jesus. He says, That's the most critical concern I have. I put that first. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers of it. Same word for bishops, but sort of the connotation is still there as leaders. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. He's reminding them that this was a blood bought victory. Here's the reality the church in Ephesus was doing great at this time. They were healthy, they were flourishing, they were growing, they were planting other churches. While Paul was there, things were going well, but he warned the leaders that it could go very badly if their hearts moved away from God, from putting God first, and if they were not to stick closely to the Lord and their Savior. And that's the biggest warning of the church today. We need elders. And we need elders who are committed to truth and doctrine and to leading the church Most of all, we need elders that are spirit-filled. They're sold out for the Lord Jesus. Because some 35 years after this was written, the Lord Jesus, risen and reigning, spoke through the apostle, Revelation chapter 2, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. The Lord Jesus says to write this, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. He's speaking from the throne room of God in heaven. Quote, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you you cannot bear with those who are evil. So Jesus begins by saying, I know that you can't bear with those who are evil. That direct attack, you've stood up well but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found to be false. And so he says, and that that other prong of attack of those that call themselves apostles tell you that they're an expert, but they're truly false teachers. You've done a great job there too. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. So attacks two and three, the outside evil ones, the inside false teachers, Ephesian church, you're doing well. You're holding tight, you're sticking to scripture, you're you're watching what you teach. Then the Lord Jesus says this But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. And do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Which of Paul's warnings was most critical? What other people teach, what other churches are doing, what they're saying out here? What the culture says? No, that's fine. Was there a concern about what's being taught in the church? Is Sunday school going well? What are we teaching the youth? No, we got that covered. It's our heart. It's the leader's hearts. And the whole flock. And are we sold out for Jesus? Is he our first love? That is the greatest danger. Our hearts before the Lord Jesus. And that was heavy. So Paul wants to end on an up note. He, He wants to point them to God and his grace and his word and its impact in his life and theirs. Look at verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. Thinking, how how are we going to do this? How do we keep God first? His word will build you up. His grace will build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you That by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of our Lord Jesus. What a great way to end a speech, to end with the words of Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul says, you have been given elders this great important responsibility to lead the church, to get right the Lord and lead your people so rely on his grace to build you up rely on his word to build you up and this is how it worked out in my life Paul says I never took a cent or invested a penny in a wrong place it was always the mission of God first and foremost friends money is just a means to an end that we might glorify God Uh, Nielsville, we are going to Eco Presbyterians because we believe that it is God's will and that it is good. But I cannot promise you smooth sailing. It will cost us in the short term to pay in order to keep this property and this facility that is being led by our elders. But you know, eco is all about planting new churches. They are planting churches in urban city centers. out in the country, across this land. Part of what is amazing, what's happening is the need for new churches and uh, reinvented churches, and ECO is a part of that. Well, you know what, Nielsville? We're planting a church right here. God is doing something new, and it will cost in the short term. If it's God's will, then we know we will succeed. Luke concludes his report of this farewell speech this way, Verse 36. When Paul had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. There was much weeping on their a part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful, most of all because of the word he'd spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul sailed off into the sunset to keep giving his life for Christ. And so he provided us with an example of how we should approach life and ministry. We are proud Presbyterians. You don't have to be a Presbyterian to join us, but that is our heritage. It's a heritage of scholarship, of world missions. Look around at all those who've come from different continents who have been blessed by a heritage of Presbyterian missionaries. It is also an imperfect group Of humbled sinners people being people are messy we don't always get along but we are people seeking to follow the Lord Jesus so I want to leave you with three questions three final questions number one are you on board with us joining eco will you follow our elders lead number two How would you complete this sentence? The one thing I must accomplish at any cost is? Fill in the blank. What's really most important to you? You're willing to take a stand for. The one thing I must accomplish at any cost is? Fill in the blank. The closest history we have Of this period of time was that the Emperor Nero condemned Paul to death by decapitation. He died in Rome declaring the gospel of Christ, spending his last breath as a witness to the truth that had set him free. The Presbyterian heritage includes a huge host of witnesses, men and women who gave everything for the sake of the gospel as pastors, elders, and as missionaries on all continents some of them had great big facilities and campuses, and some of them had nothing to their name but their word, the word of God, and their conviction. And you and I are part of this chapter God is writing. So I'll ask you one final question, the question I was asked 20-some years ago. Will you join in being an evangelical Presbyterian and so fulfill God's calling in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for calling us to this church. We thank you, O God, for all the different forms of denominations that there are, as Jamie said, different flavors uh, of of following you. We're just in one small neck of the woods of your great uh, big uh, forest, your great kingdom, Lord, Uh, or maybe an we're one little estuary in the great sea of, of your kingdom. But God, we pray that we would be a people in this time as for such a time as this that would be faithful to your calling. And we ask you, O oh God, for your your blessing over our elders. We pray, O oh God, that as you call them forth to lead, and even as nominating committee is nominating new elders for the coming year, and those there are some that are still even thinking about becoming an elder and accepting that nomination, O oh God, we, we ask that you guide them. And bless them and fill all of us, Lord, with a burning passion for you. Amen.